Chapter 3 of the Shunzhu is entitled Nothing Improper, and many of these chapter titles come from the first one or two words from the original text. I say this because even though the chapter name is Nothing Improper, the scope of the chapter goes beyond this. If we were to invent a title that did not correspond to the first few words of the chapter, a better title might be On the Junzu. And the Junzu is a term that is translated often as a gentleman. But a better translation perhaps would be a nobleman. Because the term nobleman has two meanings. One, it is a person of rank, to be a person of nobility. And two, its connotation is that this is a person of some virtue. He is a person who is noble in character. And so the term junzi in the original Chinese has a similar double meaning. He is simultaneously a person who has virtue, but also could refer to a person of official rank and status. So in later chapters, the way that Shunzi uses the term Junzi is referring to somebody who is in fact a king because he is making use of this double meaning of Junzi. So this chapter is about the Junzi and that's why at the beginning we have a contrast to petty persons. Petty persons are a contrast to the Junzi, the man of virtue, a virtuous person. And so the first point that is made is only what is proper does a Junzi esteem. And then he goes on and criticizes people who make strange conclusions using their manipulation of logic and argument. So for example, mountains and valleys are level. Heaven and earth lie even. Uh, qi and qin are adjacent. And of course, in the world that is familiar to them, qin is the state farthest west and qi is the state farthest east. So they are not indeed next to each other. It enters the ears and comes out of the mouth. Women has, have whiskers, eggs have feathers. Shunzi says that these are difficult arguments to propound, but Huixi and Dongxi could do this. Like I said before, in a previous chapter, there are people who are capable of making arguments through difficult twists of logic and hand-selected pieces of evidence, and they come to conclusions that belie the very definition of these words. And we find that today when people claim 
that what is male or what makes for a man is not really what is makes for a man but instead is that of a woman and we have people back then advancing these arguments and they're doing this for political ambitions and we have people today that are propounding these arguments again for political ambitions interestingly things do not seem to always change at a fundamental level because the nature of human beings remains the same and certain aspects of political dysfunction come out of human chaos and those have parallels into the past. Junzu says that the Junzu does not esteem such arguments because they do not accord with Li and Yi. In other words, these arguments have nothing to do with morality and have nothing to do with beautiful expressions of goodness and morality and so should not be regarded. They do not accord with Li and Yi and therefore a person should not esteem such arguments and such conclusions because they go against morality, they go against justice, they go against righteousness, and they are not beautiful expressions of such E. So the Junza, because he wishes to accord with Li and E, he does not esteem feats that are difficult but improper. In matters of arguments, he does not esteem improper inquiries. In matters of reputation, he does not esteem improper fame. Only what is proper, what is correct, what is moral, does he esteem. So he does not go into strange inquiries that do people no good. And he does not esteem bad reputation, improper fame. And so even though he could attain some great office by saying things that are false and promising things that should not be promised, he does not do that. And he does not esteem improper inquiries when arguing because they do not accord with what, what is proper, what is Li and Yi. So if we go back to this question of transgenderism, the Junza does not esteem such arguments that purport to somehow say that somebody who was born with the male sexual organs can be considered ever a woman. He does not esteem these arguments because they do not accord with Li and E, and they do not accord with Li and E because they do not accord with proper relations. Proper relations between a man and a woman in the context of the sexual relation regards husbands and wives and they are brought together because husbands can make wives pregnant in a stable family relation and therefore provide a good social environment in which to raise their children. 
And to say that a male is not really a male and a woman is not really a woman is to disrupt that relation and therefore is not E. So you can tell who's a Junzi based on whether he has proper inquiries, he has proper reputation and fame, or at least he seeks such things, and whether he esteems proper feats, proper achievements. The rest of this chapter continues to describe the Junzi, and sometimes he is in he is contrasted to the petty person. So let's go look into some of these details. In line 26, we have a wonderful statement here. We have Shunzi talking about restraint of the Junzi. He is easy to get to know, but difficult to become intimate with. You, in other words, he is easy to approach, but for him to trust you and confide in you, that is difficult because that is something you do with your friends. And by friends, we mean somebody who is trustworthy. You can be friendly to somebody, but that's a different matter than becoming their friend. If you are their friend, they trust in you. They take your advice seriously, and that is reciprocated on the other end. So if somebody is your friend, you can be intimate with that person, but you yourself have to be a good person because you're not supposed to in Confucian thought, and Confucius says this very explicitly, do not make somebody into a friend who is not as good as you are because you are supposed to confine in them and take their advice seriously. And if they are not a very good person, there's a great discrepancy between where you are and where he is. You can be friendly to this person. You can be courteous to this person and you can help out this person, but that is still a different matter than being a friend. So this explaining it this way makes a bit more sense. It's difficult to become intimate with such persons. The next statement, he is easily made apprehensive. In other words, he is, it is easy for him to be concerned about something. Eric Hutton explains this as the Junzu's sensitivity to problematic situations, even in the beginning stages. In contrast to others who can only recognize problems later on, so Junza can easily be made apprehensive because he's sensitive to picking up on problematic signs. But he is difficult to intimidate. Why? Because to intimidate somebody is to make them cower in fear. And the Junza is still a man of action, a still a man of integrity and righteousness. And so he is going to do what is correct and morally right. He fears troubles, but will not avoid dying when it is for the sake of what is E. In other words, he's going to die for the sake of righteousness. That is why he is not going to be easily intimidated 
He is willing to give his life up for what is morally righteous. So he might fear troubles, he might be apprehensive, but he's still a man of proper courage. He desires what is beneficial, advantageous, but he will not do what he considers wrong. So we have more description here onward. I'm going to pick out the ones I find pretty interesting enough to discuss. We have this line 48, the Junza is tolerant yet lacks, principled yet not oppressive. He's principled, he does what is morally correct, but he does not oppress others by insisting to an unreasonable degree, to a unrighteous degree that they follow him immediately and always. So that's how he can be tolerant yet not lax. In other words, he knows how to do the best thing, but not compromise his own principles. When teaching students, he does not yell at them every time they fail, but still insists on the correct standards. And then, uh, about line 72, we finally have a description of the petty man in contrast to the Jinzu. And so the Jinja is described as somebody who reveres heaven and falls away if he has high, lofty ambitions. But if he is a more modest person with what he, he hopes to achieve with his life, then he cautiously adheres to E and regulates himself, meaning he does not overextend himself. He, he carefully watches over what he does and ensures that he does what is good and healthy and morally right for him to do. So we have some more discussion here. Uh, he's harmonious, he follows a proper model, he is reverent and reserved and so forth. Every good behavior, every model behavior we find in the Junza. Now in line 83, the petty man is not so and usually the what's translated into petty man is Xiao Ren. Xiao means small, Ren means person. So the petty man uh, is a more um, direct, uh, it's not necessarily direct translation, but it's a more uh, clear and non-metaphorical translation. So I'm going to use that here. Petty man is not so. If he has high ambitions, he's arrogant and violent because he wants more and more. If he is lacking ambitions, then he's perverse and dissolute. So you know these kinds of people are out there. They don't seek to accomplish much. Uh, they don't want that much, but they are lazy. They waste their time and energy, and they seek uh, things of crude, desires, um, they find crude ways to satisfy their desires. So people who have addictions of all sorts, uh, this uh, could be this 
this kind of person could be described as perverse and dissolute. And we have more description later on in that paragraph. Then in line 94, we have the Junzu. What does he master? He masters what is orderly. And he does not put into order what is chaotic. What does this mean? Li and Yi are called orderly. What is not Li and Yi is called chaotic. So what is not moral is chaos, inherently so. What is not right is, is chaos. What does not accord with fine and good relations between father and son, subject and lord, husband and wife, and so forth. That is chaotic. And you don't attempt to put into order what is chaotic. That might seem a bit like an oxymoron. Isn't order the opposite of chaos? No, not in the framework that Shunzu is operating in, because what is chaotic is something that departs from morality and for human virtue. And so it can depart for it and you can establish a kind of order, but this is not good. So you don't try to order what is chaotic, you put into good order what is Li and Yi. I'll give you an example. Many schools, they have these, uh, many colleges, they have these licentious customs. It may take place during Halloween weekend, it may take place at something else, but they wish to have a time where their students engage in great levels of promiscuity. And there is a kind of order to this. They establish a time frame for starting the party, ending the party. They have certain kinds of activities, themes, costumes, drinks, etc. And that is an example, a very clear example of putting into order what is chaotic. Another example of putting attempting to order what is chaotic could come in the form of anything that seeks to disrupt good relations, harmonious relations between family members or between neighbors within the neighborhood or villagers within the village. Let me give you an example. Copyright law. Copyright law can put into order what is chaotic if it protects music that is perverse, that encourages violence, greed, and lust. And that is putting into order what is chaotic, because chaotic has to do with things that are outside morality and outside of beautiful expressions of virtue and morality, and that is Lee. In the next paragraph, we have this discussion on line 118 regarding Chong. And uh, Eric Hutton translates this as integrity. And it's worth, however, talking about what Chong is. 
This is, as Hutton explains, a very difficult term to translate. It encompasses notions of sincerity and devotion and even, he says, being true to oneself. Now, based on the context, the translator decides to translate this as integrity, he says. But I think it's worth considering what Chang means and simply use the word Chang instead of uh, instead of and so we have here this term uh, to take a few steps back here we have this term that's translated as integrity but encompasses uh, sincerity being true to yourself perhaps genuineness uh, authenticity even it should relate to this idea of being single-minded pure okay so here it's translated as integrity but again i th think that chung is a uh you want to maybe, per maybe perhaps understand this term in and of itself the way that we will with ren um lee uh, because it lacks a easy uh, equivalent within English. So let's look at the, some of these words to develop our understanding. When you have achieved Chung, there's nothing to do more to do than to cling to Ren and carry out E. So in this sense, it feels very much like sincerity. Once you are sincere, then you there's no more to do than to cling to your what's most noble about your humanity and to carry out morality and righteousness. If you cling to Ren with the heart of Chong, then you will come to embody it. Again, that seems like sincerity. Sincerity uh, in this context is to do what is truly best and true. Once 27, we have this line, to transform and adapt in succession is called heavenly virtue because this is the pinnacle of virtue. To be able to be enlightened, to adapt to things. The translation of adapt uh, does not mean that you're changing who you are in response to the situation. You're not changing your principles, you're not changing your rent, you're not abandoning your rent, you're not abandoning E, but rather you know how to respond to the situation. Because remember, early on, the Junza is prepared to die for what is righteous. So of course he's not going to give that up in order to fit in for its own sake. So the term adapt to things is a little clumsy there.
We have around lines 142, heaven and earth are most vast, but without Chong, they could not transform the myriad things. So this aspect of Chong that comes out is more like authenticity, uh, uh, being genuine. And so the sage is most wise, but without Chong, he could not transform the myriad people. Father and son are most intimate, but without Chong, they will become estranged. Lords and superiors are most exalted in terms of their status, but without Chong, they will be debased in their behavior. Chong is what the Junzu clings to and is the basis for government affairs. The sincerity is the basis for proper government. If people seek power for its own sake, then they are not Chong and they are going to do what is wrong and evil will spread throughout the society. If people seek power without wishing to truly help people be happy and be moral, then again, proper government affairs and tasks are not going to be carried out properly and effectively, and there will be chaos. There will be problems there. Another interesting line is 158. The Junzu's heart is small in probably a literal sense, but his Tao, his way is great. In other words, how he lives his life, that is great, even though he is simply one man with one body. In line 170, we have here, uh, I believe for the first time in the text, a mention of the carpenter square and he is going to use these metaphors of carpenter squares compasses and scales and so forth uh, perhaps he's mentioned this actually before uh, but this is a very recurring uh, metaphor and I can't keep track of what exactly he introduces this because I've gone through this text several times many times uh, with many students so it's you know start to lose track in any case uh, these are not linear texts um, this is not like an argument that one might find in mathematics or geometry where uh, they go from beginning to end in a very particular order and then they reach a conclusion uh, actually I'm not even sure that uh, even most mathematical or geometric arguments work this way either. But they're not linear. You're not going from A to B to C to D, and you have to go in that order to understand. It works more like a web where different things connect to each other and you see the totality of the truth that is, uh, that is framed with all these different parts that connect to each other. So there are methods to understand, to be, to work as standards for, th for things in the world. And for Li and Yi and the Tao, those can function as an exhaustive standard.
Line 180, uh, this is, in this paragraph, actually if we start from one line 175, we have a discussion of different kinds of men. So we have a man of comprehensive goodness. When situations arise, he discerns a proper response. That's a good way to put uh, what was more uh, perhaps hastily described as adapt to things. So when situations arise, he discerns the proper response. In other words, he does not lose his own integrity. He does not lose sight of his moral principles. He does not lose, he does not compromise his E, his REN. Instead, he discerns the proper response to that situation. Because it is not the Jinza who should adapt himself to the situation. It is the Jinza who figures out the proper way to respond to the situation. And sometimes that could mean that he goes on the attack. Sometimes that means he needs to remove himself from that situation. Sometimes it means he needs to teach. Sometimes it means he needs to stay and set the example. But in any case, he is not getting rid of what is virtuous about himself in order to adapt to that situation. So one who is like this can be called a person of comprehensive goodness. What about the person without prejudice? He is not allowing his biases or selfish interests to harm his understanding of what is the right thing to do. An upright man is somebody who has what we would normally call integrity. So he does not accept rewards if he is at fault. He does not pretend that he is better or worse than he is, but rather presents himself with accordance with a true disposition of his abilities. So he is very clear as to what he knows he does not know what he can do or cannot do. So the next kind of descriptor is the honest man. He is afraid to follow corrupt customs, immoral behaviors, and he strives to be trustworthy in every word and conscientious in every action. But he does not dare to be self-righteous about what he holds too steadfastly. So this is an honest man. The petty man, however, this is the first time we get to a person who is going to be compatible with these other kinds of characteristics. A petty man, his words are untrustworthy. And I like this part, his actions have no constant standard. In other words, he is an unprincipled man and he behaves in an unprincipled way. So whenever there's chance for profit or advantage, there's to nothing he will stoop. Excuse me, there is nothing to which he will not stoop. In other words, he'll abandon his integrity in order to 
secure a optimal situation for himself. And that is why the Junzu discerns the proper response to different situations instead of adapting himself to the situation. The last part here regarding the Junzu, I would say is line 207 on weighing. This is a very interesting point here because when you are trying to figure out life, whether we're talking about one decision at a time or we're, we're regarding the overall philosophy, you want to consider things forward and backwards, what is desirable in it, what is undesirable in it, because any course of action, any philosophy contains things that are desirable and some things that are undesirable. Shunzi is pretty objective about human desires. He does not pretend that every single human desire is morally good, and he does not pretend that every human desire is necessarily morally bad or selfish in the sense that it is destructive to the other people around the person. Instead, he is very clear-minded about this. There's no way you can satisfy every single one of your desires in the world, and that is true. You cannot be both a man who is a who sleeps around with so many, many, many different dozens, hundreds of attractive women, but at the same time, um, gets to experience the close intimacy of lifelong monogamy. Those courses of actions are mutually exclusive. Um, you cannot simultaneously live a life full of spontaneity and thrill-seeking, but also ensure high levels of safety for you and your family. Some things, again, are mutually exclusive. You cannot have both the time to be able to accumulate high levels of virtue and wisdom, and yet party very intensely and socialize and experience new things, you cannot live both lives like this because you have limited time that keeps you from being able to pursue both ways. And so one could be reminded of one of the very last Analects where Zisha says that even along byways there are bound to be some worthwhile things to see. But the reason that Junza do not pay attention to such uh, detours is because they have a long way to go and are afraid to be bogged down. In other words, they know what is truly valuable. They don't want to lose time in seeing something that is kind of nice, but ultimately distracts them from their overall goal of walking the way walking the Tao. So Shunzi's fundamental advice regarding this is to weigh both sides, weigh what is good, what is bad, what is desirable, what is undesirable, 
worth adopting, worth rejecting. And he says in most cases, people's problems are due to their own one-sidedness in harming them. This he will go into more depth in this chapter called Undoing Fixation. And that comes later. And in that chapter, he's going to talk about various philosophers, various ideologies that are not 100% untrue, but the problem is that they are too fixated on one truth at the cost of a larger understanding of truth. And we get a little hint of that in the last paragraph where he says, I hate what other people hate. In other words, he's referring here to unfair rank. So this will make sense in a second. I hate what peop other people hate, but categorically disdaining the wealthy and noble while seeking to secure the poor and lowly is not the true disposition of the person of Ren. This is a means by which vile people will steal a reputation for themselves in a benighted age. There's nothing more dangerous. And he specifies a couple of these thinkers, Chan Zhong and Xu Chu. He says that these people are worse than robbers. They're worse than robbers because robbers might steal physical things, but these people steal reputation for goodness. And because they steal the reputation for goodness, in other words, they have the reputation for being good when they are not, people who try to have some inkling that they should be better will take after these fellows rather than truly wise people. And so people who have some spark or some seed of sincerity in them will walk into the wrong destination. They will end up in the wrong place, metaphorically speaking, and their lives will suffer and the people around them will suffer as a result. And that is why they are worse than robbers. But what does this mean? What is their problem here? What does it mean to categorically disdain the wealthy and noble? What Shunta is against are people who insist that equality for its own sake is paramount. So we have this a lot in the last couple of centuries, a uh, couple or even you know, a few centuries, people are always advocating for more equality in various sorts of ways. Communism comes to mind. Even one can say this about the spirit of democracy. One could say this about the last 30 years where we are pretending that people of certain uh, categories um, should be equal regardless of their actual ability. So, Categorically disdaining the wealthy and noble, those who have much in terms of material goods or in terms of status or in terms of power, categorically disdaining them as if pretending all of these people are bad and that there's no justification for hierarchy. 
to believe this is not the true position, disposition of the person of Ren. Why? Because, according to Shunzi, you need people of higher status and you need to reward people of ability with greater things than those of less ability, and that creates proper order. That way, you have people with talent and ability making decisions for society and they do that well rather than having a bunch of ignorant people who don't know what they are talking about and making decisions for everybody and of course you want to do things like reward hard work you want to reward people who work harder with greater rewards you want to reward people who have talent and it doesn't mean that you leave the lowly or the base people to suffer and to starve. That's not what Shunzi wants at all. His idea, his insight, is that if you ensure that some people who have ability, who have virtue, have rank and status and decision-making power, and they have the right amount of rewards, uh, then what they will provide for society is great. And then what they provide for society will allow for everybody to have what they need, even though certain people have a bit more than what they need. So as a result, everybody has enough food, everybody has a happy family life, and so even though not everybody has high status and not everybody might have the biggest house out there and maybe not everybody has the fanciest clothes and the biggest jewels, what is important and essential, that is satisfied. And so that's Shunzi's great vision. Now, other people who imitate goodness they pretend to be virtuous. They pretend to be Ren persons. They will say things that sound good. All will all be equal. We'll all live like kings. Everything will be perfect. Nobody will look down on you, etc., etc. This all sounds good, but it's fundamentally unworkable. It is not practical it is impossible to actually achieve and whether the people who speak in favor of equality are simply foolish or ignorant or worse they are they know it's not going to work but they are being deceptive in order to get you to support them these people are not ren persons they are not ren persons they are not virtuous they are not good and you should want to avoid such persons and certainly you do not want them to be your leaders. So to summarize this chapter, this chapter is entitled Nothing Improper, but if you want to think of a title that captures the scope of it, it's what a Junza is like. And a Junza, he is a man of virtue who builds his life around Li and Yi 
and he values what is righteous over the material things and he acts out of sincerity that is his fount that comes out from his heart and so that chung is what enables a person to become virtuous even though he's born a petty person that chung is what allows you to have good and joyful loving relationships with other persons and that chung is a basis for good and proper governing without chung nothing of good can be carried out and no good consequences can be implemented so we get a greater understanding on different aspects of the virtuous person the noble person the junzo of course in the next chapter and all the way to the end of the book if I were to isolate one very important unique thing about this chapter it is the emphasis on chung however you want to understand this in a single English word sincerity integrity uh, devotion consistency single-mindedness purity authenticity I prefer to use simply the word chung that has a meaning in and of itself simply added to your vocabulary here the next chapter is chapter four on honor and disgrace that is its title and in chapter four there is more regarding the junzo regarding a virtuous person how to understand what is truly honorable what is truly disgraceful and it has less to do with how other people see you or even treat you um, and more to do with the kind of person you are so there's some discussion regarding that um, and the following chapters uh, for some time are not going to be all centered around one theme and then we move on to another topic never to revisit it because all of the the discussion here is tied together in different ways again it is similar to a web where there are many different parts that are connected all to each other but they do form one coherent whole confucius when talking about the Tao, uses this metaphor of it of all these various different things he talks about they seem to be disconnected but they all are in his own words connected by a single thread and the same could be said about Shunzo here so sometimes what we talk about will seem a bit perhaps redundant we've already talked a little bit about that but always we are adding something new to our understanding or we are deepening our understanding and sometimes you simply have to be reminded of of its existence everybody knows it's important to live up to one's promises to be a trustworthy person but how many people actually do this in their lives few people do this everybody knows that we should be sincere and honest in our relationships um, in our intimate relationships but 
so many few people actually do this. We all know we should respect each other, but very few actually do that. So sometimes a reminder itself is actually very important for us, for our self-cultivation. So continue listening to these lectures, continue your reading, continue your self-reflection, even if some of these terms like Lee and E you'll hear again and again, but it does not mean we're done simply because we moved on to the next chapter. So next chapter is chapter four on honor and disgrace. We're going to add to your understanding. And so you want to go ahead, check out this chapter.